Hey, witches. Welcome back to the Witch the Vote podcast with Paige and Erica. I'm Paige. I'm Erica. Um, And today's featured weird sound is um, our new producer slash co-host, Arlo the Cat, uh, who has a really expressive tail and is kind of just thumping it back and forth on the table. So if you hear that, just know. It's a really cute cat. There's a really (laughs) impressive feline being helping us with this episode. (laughs) Um, So this episode is on a topic that we've touched on before a little bit in previous episodes, and we're definitely going to talk a lot more about over the course of this podcast. But we wanted to kind of pump the brakes a little bit and just do the best primer episode, I guess, that we can about capitalism and socialism. And So basically, I proved my mother wrong and put my history degree to some use <laughs> for this episode, because I think there is like a lot of awesome discussion happening around like the effect of capitalism on our lives. But I've also noticed that maybe some people don't have like a great understanding of like what it actually is and that's really hard because it's a million kinds there there's there's a million different ways of looking at it but we tried and did our best Mm -hmm. to come up with a decent explanation laying some groundwork for people who maybe um don't know uh anything about it yeah so that's That's what we're talking about today. And thank you all for talking about us so much in the reviews on iTunes and sharing our stuff on Instagram. And we've got a great five-star streak going on, um, which is amazing and helps a lot of other witches find us and tell us what they want to hear and who they want to hear from. So, you know, please continue doing that. Tell your friends to do that. Um, We really, really appreciate it. Tell your coven. Tell your, tell your mom if she's open to it. So today we're talking about our favorite topic of conversation, which is capitalism. We have a tendency to, to bring up capitalism a lot, but not everybody actually has a working knowledge of what the system of capitalism is or what it looks like. So we thought it would be a good idea to have an episode in which um, Erica can flex her study muscle um, because she knows a lot about the subject. Well, I mean, to be fair, like I think in conversation with you is how this will work. (laughs) I definitely, this is like a huge, huge, huge topic and I am not an economist by any means. I'm not even a professional, you know, historian, but I am someone who does have a degree in history and specifically I looked at Russian and Soviet history. Um, And so I did get myself a working knowledge of um, some of the concepts of like Marxism and critiques of capitalism and, uh, you know, ideas um, about socialism. And, you know, I can say that that knowledge has made me really hate capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) What has come out of me hunting and gathering all these little nuggets. It's so weird. It's like the more you learn about it, the the more more you you hate hate it. it. (laughs) It's true. Um, My best friend likes to say that I can definitely like work a critique of late stage capitalism into like any conversation. And I'm pretty proud of that, to be honest. But so yeah, today is kind of um, this episode is kind of inspired by a friend of ours who consciously and in the their work and in their social media presence definitely upholds, you know, 
tenants uh, that I would call anti-capitalist and yet was not willing to identify as being anti-capitalist. And I sort of said, like, why would someone who believes in all of these things such as self-care and pushing back against productivity at all costs and all of these things, like, why would why would they not connect with the identification as an anti-capitalist? And, you know, I think my assumption that we're operating under here today on this episode is that, you know, yeah, it is a really complex thing. And I think maybe people feel overwhelmed trying to understand it. I do too, even just putting notes together for this episode. (laughs) I like, you know, almost had a breakdown. That's not true. I didn't almost have a breakdown, but it's definitely really hard. And it's a slippery subject to try to put into a sort of brass tacks, quick and dirty explanation. But we're going to (laughs) try. We're going to try to tell you what it is and why we hate it. And we have some questions from y'all that we crowdsourced via Instagram that is going to help us kind of frame this a little bit better around why does this matter to y'all? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think I just got like a a little ping about this and we're going to talk more about why there's such a, or I guess right now we're talking about why there's such a stigma around declaring yourself being an anti-capitalist or, you know, heaven forbid, being a socialist. Um, I wonder as witches, if we can examine the past lives and inherited energy of ancestors and, and past selves who lived through the Red Scare and lived through the Great Wars and still carry that Absolutely. pressure of propaganda within them too. And I mean, oh my God, the decades of propaganda that the American government and, um, you know, all of the parties that benefit from it have unleashed on the population. It's truly wild. And, you know, the Cold War is something that I have looked at, I would say, like, in depth for a lay person, definitely not for a historian. But and it really is like this war of ideas, where they were able to equate all of socialism with what was happening in the USSR. And ultimately, I mean, like what was going on in the USSR or, you know, formerly Russia and now presently Russia was totalitarianism. Stalin and his successors were not actually following sort of Marx's idea of like how you evolve into socialism. So just for a little background on that, um, and Marx is not the end all be all of of any of these theories or ideas, but, you know, he is the most popular, obviously. He wrote Das Kapital and the Communist Manifesto, obviously. And so, you know, if you are wanting to sort of dive deeper into this concept, like Marx is probably like a place you will start. So what is capitalism, right? At its core, capitalism is a social arrangement where the majority of people in any society have only one way of making money, and that's by working for others, specifically capitalists. Capital is money. So in other words, there are a small group of people who have all the money and everyone else has to work for them in whatever capacity that is, whether it's like making widgets or creating advertisements for said widgets or doing laundry or cleaning homes, like all of those things, someone else's labor is paying for someone else to do business, if that makes sense. So technically, in the strictest terms, 
because I own a business and I own the means of production, I am a capitalist. So, um, but obviously I am an anti-capitalist capitalist. So the big thing is profit. So any business, the goal is to make a profit, right? But before we really got into capitalist production, there was definitely more of a sense of like interconnectedness with people and community and compassion and responsibility and this idea of like, you know, you don't, I mean, just truly, and in some ways, I think this is why Christianity really took hold in, in Europe, this idea of like, caring for your brother, because maybe you will need to be cared for cared for at some point. And, you know, we are all related. And, you know, you don't need to just like exploit someone for no reason. So that's what's going on. And, you know, um, we're talking about pre capitalism, we're talking about sort of the 1400s, 1500s. And again, this is like, all within a European context so far, because that's where capitalism comes from is Europe, specifically Britain. Because um, capitalism and colonization are in bed together. In, in bed US. together. They're lovers. Yeah. Before that, you have feudalism. And before that, you had slavery. You had slave economies, which evolved into feudalism. Again, my quick and dirty explanation is like feudalism is like still not great. Um, there's still sort of lords and there's like the royalty population and then the common folk and the common folk are still working for the lords and they are still reliant on um, the people who own sort of the means of production. But there is this little escape hatch called the commons. And it's land. We have them here in we have one in Salem. We have Salem Common. You have Boston Common. And, um, you know, now we sort of think of them as like parks, public parks. Um, but back then it was like a lot of the land that just didn't like belong to anyone specifically. And so if you didn't want to work for a lord, you could just drop out. And what happens when capitalism moves in is that all of that common land all of a sudden gets divided up between the rich folks so that it all of it is owned by someone, which means you can't just go there and fuck around because whoever owns that land is going to be like, why are you fucking around on my land? It's mine. So now there's nowhere to go that you're not working for someone else. And right along with that, because now we're in this huge land grab to be able to own everything and control everything, all of a sudden women's bodies need to be regulated. Um, and that's where we get the witch hunts. And we'll definitely be going into that more. You need like unending sources of labor. And that's where we get the slave trade. And you need um, as much land as possible to own. And that's where we get the genocide of indigenous populations in America, in Australia, you just brought up. And so that everything, all the land in the world, all of the means of production are all owned. And who owns them? Well, a very small amount of the population. So in our current like well, our recent past, but sort of current cultural context, Occupy Wall Street movement. Put it really oh, wow. succinctly. <laughs> I forgot the, about that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I had so much hope for Occupy yeah, Wall Street, but yeah. you know, this idea of the 1% and there's always been a 1% and a 99% and there still is a 1% and a 99%. But what's really dangerous about capitalism and particularly late stage capitalism in America is the idea that 
there's not a 1% and a 99%, which I think was like really pervasive, especially during the Cold War, during the 1950s, when in large part in America, everyone's standard of living rose exponentially from where it had been ever in history. All of a sudden now people have homes and like washing machines and cars and like all these like shiny things that like make us feel really good about going to work all the time. Because there's a reward. Exactly. And so we sort of all of a sudden start equating like these ideas of like creature comforts and like material goods with capitalism. And then people would look at what was going on over in the USSR, which was like, not that. And it was like, oh, well, that doesn't work. And like this does. And I think that's where a lot of people still are, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, so one of the things I want to say is just that Marx had this idea called historical materialism. And basically what that meant was that just like we evolved out of slave economies and out of feudalist economies and into capitalist economies, we would evolve out of our capitalist economies into socialist economies and eventually into communist economies, which they are different. And it's definitely this Gemini cannot get into (laughs) the differences here today. And there, there are definitely critiques of that theory. And um, there are critiques of all of Marxist theories, uh, anti-capitalist critiques, not just critiques from sort of like the right. It's just a framework that has been helpful for me still to look at this in very simple, again, like kind of quick and dirty ways. So therefore, we can't really say that like what happened in Russia and didn't work out was socialism. It wasn't. But there are places in the world that are dabbling in socialism and it's working really well, which is in Scandinavia, which is in countries like Norway and Sweden and Iceland and Finland. It's also not really fair to compare a country like America with countries like Scandinavia because Scandinavia are very homogenous. The populations are, I mean, in Iceland, like these people can still trace their roots back to like the Vikings. Like they can literally trace their DNA back to. So they're all, they're not the melting pot that we are. They're not, they're not racially diverse by any means. By any means. (laughs) However, like you could argue that even like racial um, tensions are created by capitalism. Oh, definitely. Even though you can make the excuse of like, oh, well, the kind of like socialism or like social democracy that's happening in Scandinavia, like couldn't happen here because like we're so diverse and we have all these different things and it's a melting pot and da, 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 da. But truly like even all of those like divisions are like just made up to keep us separate and keep us from forming community and really, you know, revolting against this 1%, right? right? It's a distraction. It's always it's always a mask for keeping right. the proletariat mad at each other instead of mad at the capitalists. They want to hide that capitalism is a bad thing. So instead they, you know, and instead of saying like, oh, we're discriminating against poor people, they're saying, well, it's socially acceptable for us to discriminate against black people. And we're going to do that by imposing capitalist systems that keep them poor. And so then instead of having a visible class division, you have a visible race division. And right. It muddles things further. So these are all definitely connected. And especially, you know, we were talking about the genocide of indigenous peoples. Somebody I went to a lecture um, where somebody asked about the missing and murdered indigenous women and, and where what they think is happening to those women and why. And one of the speakers, um, Claudia Foxtree, who's brilliant, mentioned that 
a lot of these lands, these reservation lands are, you know, there's a lot of there's the pipelines being built. There's a lot of industry in which workers are coming and going unchecked because they you know, the reservation isn't protected by law enforcement that would be able to persecute them. So you've also got these capitalists now treating indigenous populations as if they're an exploitable resource as well. So a big shift, again, going along with this idea of like the commons and there's this like place where you can just like kind of do whatever you want. And like now there isn't capitalism, like literally invented the ideas of like work I have I'm doing air quotes and leisure and that those are like two separate things. And one of the like most insidious things that have happened that has happened is that it has equated like it has commercialized leisure time and holidays to just like feed back into the machine again. Right. So like now all of our holidays are based on shopping. So all of that to say we have this economic system. It's like very, very complicated, but At the end of the day, if you are a worker, which means you don't own your own business, essentially, then you are being oppressed. Your labor is being exploited. And the reason for that is that the nature of our type of capitalism is that the capitalist makes their money spending the least amount of money as possible, right? And that includes, that doesn't just include like, oh, I want to get the best deal on, in our in, in our world, we make spell kits. That's something that we produce. So it's not just like, I want to get the best deal on the house boxes. It's also like, I want to pay the people making the spell kits the least amount. Here's an important difference between a normal capitalist and what I try to strive to be, which is that I don't just want to pay you guys the least amount possible. <laughs> to make the spell that. kits. <laughs> um, but that accumulation of profit that comes from like not paying people as much as they maybe like deserve is kind of the nature of capitalism. That's the idea. Make a profit and then depending on who you are, hoard a profit and again, just always be looking to cut costs. And I, and again, it's like cutting costs on rent or these fixed expenses, like supplies, stuff like that. I mean, nobody's going to fault you for that, but constantly cutting the expense of paying your labor to me is just like truly evil and truly like psychopathic in a way where Say I decided to take on an investor. I'm I own my business fully and completely. I don't have any money from anybody else um, except Amex occasionally, <laughs> but I don't have to answer to anybody, so I can do whatever I want with it. But most businesses take on investors, and what happens then is that those investors are looking to make money, and so they're like, I don't care about Page. I just want to make money. So you have to figure out how to work page for as much productivity as possible for the least amount of money. And what happens is like the more removed the decision makers in a business get from the people, the easier that becomes to the point where you're dealing with a corporation with a board of directors who are making all the calls and they're making all the calls based on how much money they can make. They're like, they're like 50 people down the chain of command from the people actually doing the work. They don't know them. They don't care about them. They're not looking them in the face. They're not worried about whether they're paying their bills. They're not worried about whether they're feeding their family, you know, and, and so that's really, I think when we talk about capitalist businesses, 
That's really what it looks like. The good news is that there are plenty of ways to push back against that and to resist that. And for me, one important one, not that anybody is offering me a bunch of money or anything like that, but for me, an important one is not taking on any outside investment so that I do have full control and so that I do look at Paige's pretty blue eyes every day and say, I want Paige to like succeed in life and I want her to be comfortable and I want her to feel nice because she's my friend and I like her and I see her all the time and I don't want her to feel like I'm ripping her off just so that I can make a little bit of extra money. And I think that's how most people are. But the problem is that in our culture, in order to be in business, the the pressure to grow and get bigger and make more money is so strong. And really, in, for most people, in order to do that, you have to take on outside money. And that's like what starts this whole cycle. I think a fun example is, or not a fun example, but a good example is the show Undercover Boss, in yes. which you have these like top executives who are like, yeah, I have the best company in the world and it's great and awesome. And then they meet their employee who, you know, is trying to put their kid through medical treatments and has to work <laughs> this many shifts a week and get this many tips to afford it. And they're like, oh, my God, I want to give you ten thousand dollars. And it's like, that's great. Every single one of your workers has that. Right. Story, you know, so it's like when people are faced face to face with others and see their struggles and see what's going on. I mean, we we know that it changes their minds, but like you were saying, because they're so far removed from these workers, it's like they might as well be you know, virtual. <laughs> they're, they're not even people. That's the problem, right? And, and, and that's really the problem with like America and really the problem with capitalism and really why one of the best ways to push back against that is actually with small business and is actually forming communities, which is why communism is sort of like the end result of this evolution. But so to bring it all back home, a really useful text, and we're going to make a list of all of the texts that like I use just to come up with this hopefully organized, <laughs> um, very short summary of capitalism and how it works in our lives. But one of the ways that I or one of the texts that I thought was really useful is by our friend Jennifer Armburst, who has a company called Sister, and it's called Proposals for the Feminine Economy. So she basically, long story short, like equates basically capitalism with masculinity and toxic masculinity, which I think there is a direct correlation, obviously, because like who's been in charge of the world um, in which capitalism has was created and is thriving. And the answer is men. So she has a really useful like infographic that has the masculine economy and then several traits of that. And then you flip it over and it has the feminine economy that she's proposing um, and some traits of that. So for example, the capitalist masculine economy values perpetual consumption. So I think we're all kind of familiar with this idea. Go to the mall at Christmas. Christmas or really any time. But the, the idea is just that we need to be consuming. Everything has to be consumed. So for a long time, like the idea of like fixing something rather than just like throwing it out and buying something new. And I I mean, I think that idea is still pretty prevalent. <laughs> Most places we just have a lot of like witch friends. So <laughs> we're all mending our things, but just perpetual consumption because we have to keep the machine going. Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking of like the activist movements like the women's march that you could buy the women's march official t-shirt and you know the the pink pussy hats which have become a symbol of kind of out of touch white feminism you know of like well this right. is still operating in an extremely capitalist way and what if instead of spending 
money on printing all of this consumable content, we actually invested it back in people. Right. So this idea of perpetual consumption versus like resourcefulness, which would be sort of her answer, I think, to how do you how do you reframe perpetual consumption? Well, let's talk about resourcefulness. A big one for me and truly like her calling attention to this idea changed my life would be the myth of the meritocracy. Now in America, that is the bootstraps myth, right? That we're all, we all have equal opportunity to success and that if you just work hard enough, you will be rewarded. And this is one that I think is very deeply internalized by every single human and definitely myself. And no matter how hard I push back against it, I think we all feel like a lack of success is due to our own personal shortcomings, right? Well, that's fucking wrong. (laughs) Throw it away. Just ball it up in your mind and throw it in the trash can because it's not true. And we all need to be so aware of how oppression functions in our lives to thwart us from being successful and that there are some people who are much more thwarted than others. There's this really great video that illustrates this perfectly and it is like a group of kids all standing in a line all in the same line and they're about to run a race. Have you ever seen this? Oh yes the like this exercise that uh, teachers sometimes do. Yeah. Yes. So they're all at the starting line lined up in the same exact place, right? And they're going to all run a race to the other side of the field or whatever. And the teacher says, okay, you're going to be able to take some steps forward if you qualify for these different things. So, okay, first of all, this is a big one. Are you white? Did your parents pay for college? Do you have a working car? All of these things, right? And so if you answer yes to these questions, then you get to take a few steps forward closer to the finish line, right? And then everybody who didn't answer those questions, so like people of color, poor people, women, are still all back, way back behind everybody else. And they all have to race to the same finish line. And so like, obviously, the people with all of those advantages are going to win. And it's because of those advantages. It's not because they were faster. It's a lot like, you know, people say that like rich kids start life on third base. (laughs) So it's like getting to home base, you only have to do just one, just one, just one run. It goes back to what we were saying in the brief introduction um, about capitalism, getting rid of this idea of being charitable with each other and being generous with each other. Yes. And so when we see people getting really defensive about like, well, I don't have privilege. I was poor is like mostly guilt bubbling up for knowing that like, well, yeah, I did have advantages that they didn't. But like. You I know, still had disadvantages. Yeah, so and it's just like competition about like who's more disadvantaged when... First of all, <laughs> you shouldn't want to be the most disadvantaged. That is the most privileged stance you can right. take is wanting to be the most disadvantaged right. person in the room. That is just... We're just throwing that out the window right now. Right. But I think this idea of personal responsibility for success or failure is like a really, really, really important idea to tear down because, you know, it stifles people in its most like you know, sort of benign form and in its like worst form. I mean, it truly just convinces like whole populations of people that they are like not worthy of like being here on planet Earth. So 
that's a big one. That's bad. Uh, going back to the masculine uh, economy, domination of people and nature versus like connecting with and revering nature. And I think this is, you know, we've talked about it before as it pertains to like witchcraft and like how we view our witchcraft politically and that, you know, with climate change and everything else, having, you know, like re reminding folks to have a connection with nature that's something that is has happened explicitly because of capitalism disenfranchising us from nature. And, you know, like, what does nature matter? You need to be in the factory for 14 hours a day. Um, what does nature matter? We need the wood to make all of the things to, you know, we need just basically seeing nature as like an endless supply of resources to fuel the capitalist machine rather than like a miracle. <laughs> so like, that's a big one. Um, obsession with ownership versus unattachment. Is unattachment a word, by the way? Like, as I was writing it out, I was like, I don't De even detachment. detachment. Yeah. So like even owning a home, some people would argue is like, you know, a super capitalist venture, because first of all, there you're saying you own this land that no one owns the land. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just it. I mean, again, we're lied to and brainwashed and told the people own the land. But like, if Mama Earth wants to just like have a fucking earthquake and shake us all off of it. She's going to do that. Right. <laughs> and you can't really argue with her. And, and she her. should. Yeah, maybe she should. <laughs> so you're going to argue with an earthquake? No, you're not. And then not only are you saying that you own that home and you own that land, but then you're also like even more invested in your company that you work for because you are relying on that money coming in or you will lose your home. Whereas if you kind of remain a little bit more light on your feet in this day and age, like where we live, especially renting is not that much different from owning in like those motivations of like, well, I still need to pay my rent to be able to survive. And that's no joke around here maybe there are some parts of the country where it's a, it's easier to pay rent and so you don't have to be as like obsessed with your job but I mean I know here like you know even me like and I work for myself but I still have to work really really hard to be able to put a roof over my head well and then I'm thinking that you know the most insidious part of this is not only forcing people to work so that they can pay to live somewhere but then I'm thinking of all of the like anti- houseless people architecture to keep them from sleeping outside, Ugh. you know, or on benches or something. So you're literally saying either you work until you can afford to live somewhere or you don't exist. Don't exist. Well, you get thrown in jail. Right. You know, right. right? I mean, that's that's no better where, example of this idea of like the commons you're thrown versus, in jail where your labor is exploited to oh bless mm -hmm. i mean jail is sort of the ultimate or prison the prison system is like the ultimate end game of all of this right which is just going back to like a slave economy where it's not the, all just that we're controlled by our own sort of like bourgeois like i want to have a home and a car and like all these things like prison is like you don't even get to have any of that like you get to live in a cage and work right you know what I mean and ultimately at the end of the day like I don't think there's a big difference for these like uber capitalists that we're talking about this like one percent like there's no difference whether people are living in cages obviously we see that at the border right I mean right. we just like don't care if people live in cages it right. just doesn't matter so it doesn't really matter to them whether you're living in your like cute 
three bedroom house or you're living in a cage. It's just like, we don't care. Just are you making money? Are you part of this system? That's all we really care about. Well, especially in the US, I mean, the prison system was literally the prison and policing system was created because oops, we freed the slaves. Right. So now where do our workers go? Oh, you know what? You black person just existing there you were loitering so you're going to jail and in jail you're going to do the same work that you were doing as a slave and we're not going to pay you because you're in jail now or you're in prison now and that's yeah how it continues today right and we see private prisons and for-profit prisons oh my god and i mean like talk about sinister like for-profit prisons yikes so You know, because again, it's like, I guess you could argue like, oh, well, whatever, if somebody wants to start a small business and they want to like, you know, make it really efficient and like, you know, even maybe they pay people like a living wage, but it's like just a living wage or like whatever. Okay, I guess that's like not that bad. The next one I would say would be like this idea of like competition versus collaboration. Competition is like central to this whole idea of capitalism and like how it functions, right? And like this idea of like everybody's competing and the best one will win. And that's the best system that we can think of for how wealth should be distributed. If you're the best, you win. Amazon is a good example of this because Amazon is obviously like hugely successful, but they've also done a really good job of like providing a service that no one has, which is like, you can have anything you want in a day or two. Tomorrow or right now. And that's an awesome, awesome service. And by these rules of capitalism, like, Sure, they deserve to be on top. They deserve to, um, they they won, right? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they are winning on the backs of their employees who literally have started listing slave as their op- occupation on voter registration forms, etc. And so that's this whole idea is that in order to be the best in our system, you have to be exploiting people or resources in order to compete. Whereas if you're collaborating with other people, there isn't this sense of like, it's me or them. It's all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a big one. Scarcity mentality versus abundance consciousness. Scarcity mentality, also a huge one that I have to do work to like unpack all the time for myself personally, because scarcity mentality is what keeps us all hungry. It keeps us all competing. It keeps us all thinking that we're not good enough, that we don't deserve to just have our needs met um, without having to like work for it versus abundance consciousness, which basically says like, hey, the money or resources or like whatever it is like can flow to me no matter how much I work or don't work, no matter how I am valued by our economic system or our political system, I deserve to have my needs met and the universe will abide by that. Right. Right. Yeah. And I I think that also goes for, you know, of course, there's an argument to be made that charities can only exist because of capitalism and that if capitalism weren't the system we would just be taking care of each other and it would be fine but I think the scarcity mindset is also what keeps us from like giving one dollar a month to you know this organization or this fund because we're thinking like no what if I need that dollar a month what if it come because for a lot of us you get to that last paycheck and you do need that dollar a month you know right um so I think that all but if you had given that dollar away you wouldn't have even like notice right you wouldn't have even noticed right 
you could have dropped that out of your pocket on the sidewalk and one of the last two uh, would be this idea of individualism versus community. Mm. You've probably maybe heard the phrase rugged individualism, and it's kind of um, unique to America, actually. And it's this idea of like, you do not have to rely on anyone. Don Draper. Has anybody watched Mad Men? Am I dating myself? I honestly haven't because it's so good. I it's just, so good. Okay. Well, there's a character in a name, Don Draper, and, you know, he's like the head of a an ad of advertising agency, basically. He's a creative director, and he didn't need anyone to get where he was going. He doesn't have any family. He doesn't have any friends, really. Um, he was just able to, you know, pull up his bootstraps and make himself really successful. And we should all do that. We should all only be thinking about ourselves and our own potential and, you know, fuck your community, basically. Um, if they can't help themselves, you know, that's on them. So that's a really huge shift again from this um, idea of being interconnected and uh, having a sense of responsibility for, you know, the people around you, even the people in your own family. If having connections with those people costs you success, then those connections are not worth it. And then the last one would just be this idea of linear growth versus cyclical growth. So this is a really interesting idea from a business standpoint of, and, and even you can talk about it in terms of linear progress. So we've been kind of like led to believe our whole lives that um, even history is progressive, that how we live now is better. Um, our ideas that we have now are better than ones that we've had in the past. And that's because history progresses in a straight line. And so this idea of that, like businesses should grow in a straight line versus, you know, something that we're really um, in tune with at Housewitch, which is the cyclical nature of our business just in terms of the year, right? We have, you know, really busy times of the year. And then we have not so busy times of the year. And if I got really upset with myself, because we weren't as busy in January as we are in October, I mean, that would be really stupid, right? <laughs> and yet, that is right. what capitalism like asks us to buy into to a certain extent. So and and so hopefully my hope by talking about these contrasts is that you can understand and identify with the sort of more feminist ideas that sound a lot nicer, right? I mean, like collaboration, connection, connecting with nature, like being resourceful, feeling like abundance can come to you no matter how much you work. That all sounds really nice, right? And like in tune with like living a, a pretty nice human life here on planet Earth. And a life of leisure. A life of the, leisure. As the capitalists would, would right, tell you. <laughs> right, you know. Um, and that's the big difference because I would say that's not leisure. That's like existing and not being oppressed, Right. And so I think the one of the most dangerous things about capitalism is that it just assumes oppression is like a natural state that we all should be living under. Um, and that's really dangerous because it doesn't have to be like that. Right. But I think that idea is so pervasive. I think that is what keeps people from even being able to like see outside of and around capitalism. One last tidbit I want to throw in just to talk about how easy it is actually to like look at anti-capitalism in a practical way um, that is not like about like anarchists or like crazy, I don't know, protests and, and Occupy Wall Street and all this other stuff is this idea of labor unions, mm -hmm. right? So 
back in the good old days yeah. before late stage capitalism evolved into the like destructive monster that it is today, we had labor unions. We still have a few here and there, but they aren't very strong. But the idea of a labor union is just that the workers band together and advocate for the best possible conditions, the best possible wages, and the best possible insurance and benefits and all this sort of stuff that they can get by saying, well, we're not going to work for you if you don't give us these things, right? It's this idea of leverage. It's this idea of like, in a more balanced, less capitalist world, the workers have a say. Again, it's not perfect, but it's better than what we have now. So when you have labor unions that are able to say to these 1%, like either you pay us fairly, you give us benefits, and we're safe at work, we're not going to work for you. And we hold all the cards because without us, your machines aren't going to run. Your kids aren't going to get taught. Like our parts of our society will come to a halt. I was actually in France a long, long, long time ago, right at the start of a transportation strike. Mm. And so I was supposed to go back to England and couldn't get there, literally couldn't get there because the trains, the train conductors all went on strike. And that kind of bargaining power is what kept a little bit of fairness in capitalism and unfortunately, you know, over the last 50, 60 years, we've really managed to bust up all those unions and they really have a bad name now. I mean, something like the teachers union, they just went on a really big strike in Chicago. It was a huge deal over uh, the winter. But a lot of people are like, oh, they vote teachers unions and, and, and whatever. And so we've managed to totally like, not we, but like the politicians have managed to completely like, and the capitalists flip the script on unions being like, a good thing because they did put some leverage in the hands of the workers. Other things that did that would be like other government regulations that we on on finance, on the stock market, on all these like crazy assholes on Wall Street. And all of those have been stripped away in favor of like profit at any cost, productivity at any cost and hoarding wealth at all costs. So that leaves us today where we are, which is that like, you know, probably like 100 people have like all the money in the entire world. And the other 7 billion of us are fighting for what's left. And consequently, that's why you see stuff like civil wars and, you know, race relations being fucking terrible and us having to, you know, put people in cages and steal people's land and build horrible pipelines through like through indigenous <laughs> land that we really like, okay, you can keep this, except not really. Except not really. Well, and we even see it in the way that we um, talk about the global community, too. We talk about these developing countries, which aren't so much developing as they are, like, recovering from the from colonization and from capitalism. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's not, this isn't normal. <laughs> you know, it isn't normal to be struggling so hard to get out from under these systems. Well, and something I think that's really interesting, and there is, um, and we'll put this on the list, there is a really great little um, sort of booklet. I wouldn't call it a zine. I would call it a booklet. And it's a, yeah. <laughs> it's a pagan anti-capitalist primer. And like one of the things I think that's really interesting is um, they bring up this idea of like progress and that 
you know, oh, well, capitalism is to thank for the fact that we have, you know, vaccines and that we're all comfortable and that we're all fed. And like, first of all, not everybody gets access to vaccines, whether they want it or not. I'm looking at you anti-vaxxers. Leave me alone. Don't talk. I hate you. Um, (laughs) And not everybody has access to food and not everybody has access, but you know, we can take that for granted. But the point is that like, okay, yeah, that's a short reward for the fact that like, we're slaves, though. (laughs) You know, and so in this book, they talk about that. And they say, there's this uh, really awesome science fiction writer, Ursula K. Le Guin. And I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. And the quote is every benefit industrialism and capitalism have brought us every wonderful advance in knowledge and health and communication and comfort cast the same fatal shadow. All we have, we have taken from the earth and taking with ever increasing speed and greed, we now return little but what is sterile or poisoned. Yeah. Thanks, Ursula. Let's move on to our listener questions. Okay, yeah. Yeah, let's jump into listener questions. Okay, first listener question. So somebody asked, how can we break capitalism's hold on ourselves, especially like advertising, when you really like pretty things and buying pretty things. Oh my God. I really like pretty things and I really like buying pretty things. Um, and I think the answer is really to just be conscious of how you're consuming and like what you're consuming. There are so many pretty things out there that don't exploit anyone in them being made or produced. And you know, something that we try to do at Housewitch is really like close the loop on like where things come from so that I know that like every ceramic bowl that we get from our friend, Christina Kaczynski is, you know, paid for with, you know, she asks a fair amount of money for it. I pay her a fair amount of money for it. We sell it for a certain amount of money. And then the money that I make on it goes back into our community economy, right? So that means like, I'm not paying someone overseas somewhere to make something for me that I that, you know, inevitably, they're being exploited by whoever they're working for. It's sort of this idea of just like, knowing who makes your shit, right? And where it comes from is a huge part of it, I think. And then this idea of buy better, not more, you know, so if you're somebody who likes to buy clothes, maybe you can shift away from fast fashion and stuff like H&M or um, Forever 21 and into buying stuff that's handmade. I understand that like cost of handmade stuff can be prohibitive, but that is a way um, of doing it. Thrifting, obviously, is another way of, you know, you're not, no other resources are being exploited for something that's already been made. So, you know, rebuying something. Just just don't buy it from the Salvation Army because that's, that's, that's that's the only wrench in the, in the thrift perfect but chances are there's like really cool thrift stores like we have really cool thrift stores in salem so like we have savers well that's in danvers Mm -hmm. technically we have life bridge which is incredible in salem and all of the money for life bridge goes into the life bridge organization which is all about sort of helping people who might be uh, housing insecure who might have addiction problems giving them a place to live and giving them you know some kind of 
of like footing to get back out into the world. Um, and that's an awesome thrift store, which city consignment is also an awesome thrift store and they donate a portion of their proceeds to the North shore animal shelter. So chances are, yeah, fuck like Salvation Army, find your community thrift store. And chances are the money is going to go back into the community in a really awesome way. Right. Or, and I mean, I can't go an episode without mentioning this. Join your local swap groups, you know? Uh, Paige loves a swap. I really do. I mean, I just think, I feel like I I just become more obsessed with the idea of community the more that I... Because that is the true anti-capitalism. Right. And I just love the idea of like, hey, all these clothes don't fit me anymore. Does anybody need clothes? Yes, I need clothes. Here's some clothes. And that's it. That's it. And nobody's asking for anything. You're doing me a favor by letting me get rid of this stuff. And, you know, it's wonderful. So, yeah, I think the takeaway is that like consumerism is not necessarily capitalism and yes you know by by black by queer by poc by um immigrant by you know there there are so many important people to support with your buying power and just being conscious of that you know i think that one of the things like i remember when i was younger like i had to drive by a target to get from work to home home to work and i would stop at that target just like every day and buy something because I was just fucking bored Mm -hmm. because I was bored because my labor was being, was estranged labor. I didn't care what I was doing for a job. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I did because I care about everything, but like I wasn't happy. I wasn't feeling fulfilled in my life. Right. I had this kind of empty void and what was, and what are we taught to fill our voids with here? Stuff, buying stuff, consuming stuff. So I would just stop by Target and just like buy something every day. And I would call that unconscious consumerism, right? Because I wasn't even thinking about it. It was like a reflex at that point. And, you know, finally I stopped that. I'm very grateful that I had the resourcefulness within myself to stop that. It's not easy. Shopping addiction is a real thing. It's a real capitalist thing. But just adding some consciousness to how you consume and like what you buy is a huge step towards busting capitalism's hold on you and all of us, really, you know? Yeah, because it's like, you you know, you love pretty things. Okay, cool. We love pretty things. But when you start to examine the object and you're like, okay, this is this, I don't know, I guess bowl, because we were already talking about Christina's beautiful ceramics. We're like, okay, this bowl makes me really happy because it has this design on it. And then you think about like, okay, well, that design was probably laser printed by like a machine and that machine was operated by this person and it's plastic. And so it's covered in this kind of coating and it's done this to, and it stops being so pretty, yeah. you know, once you start thinking about it like that, like yeah. the trinkets stop being pretty and stop being cool, you know, when you think about where they came from and who made them and who got the money for it. Yeah, it's like it's actually such a like easy mental flip, I think. Just once you start being conscious of where the stuff that you're buying comes from, it makes it a lot easier to say like, no, I like want something that like my friend made with their hands that it brought them joy and they were able to pay their bills not by working for someone else, but by, you know, making their thing that it gives them joy to make. That's the world we're trying to build, right? So yeah, just just have some um, consciousness around what it is that you're actually buying. Where does it come from? Who made it? Did it exploit the earth in any way? Did it exploit someone's labor in any way? The answer is yes, then 
Maybe you don't buy that that trinket. Next question. Good question. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) That was a great question. What do we envision is the first step towards creating a new system? I think this idea of community and, you know, we've talked about this before in terms of like just politics in general and thinking less about sort of the presidential election and more about your city council election. And I think that the answer to like neoliberalism and globalization is the reverse of that, which is bringing everything back to your community and thinking about your community. That would be my answer. Yeah. I figured you were going to talk about Citizens United. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, that again, that's a whole other episode, I think. But yes, like getting rid of Citizens United, getting rid of money in politics would be hugely important. I mean, that would be revolutionary. Getting rid of um, ALEC would be my my main thing, which is the American Legislative Exchange Council, which is basically a lobbying group. They can ask politicians to bring certain proposals to the floor. And their Walmart, I'm pretty sure Amazon is involved. They're, they're these very big name corporations who will draft this legislation and give it to a Congress member. And then that Congress member sometimes doesn't even make changes to it. They'll deliver it with the ALEC letterhead to... Yep. <laughs> The floor. And um, so that's how like Walmart is literally making policies in our government. Right. I mean, I mean, that's the deal. And that's why capitalism is such a problem is that at this point, it's like even our elected officials are less powerful Mm -hmm. than corporations. And that's really sort of a big issue here because... Yeah, all of our politics are being dominated by corporate interests, which is like, you know, a lot of people are calling America an oligarchy at this point. I would probably call it that. And, you know, in case you don't know, Citizens United um, is legislation that was passed not even that long ago. I want to say 10 or 15 years ago. That basically says that corporations, any corporate interests, any any donor, whoever it is, can give unlimited amounts of money to political candidates. So what does that mean? Well, that people with unlimited amounts of money are giving money to politicians. And not just the presidential candidates. Right. I mean, these are Oh, senators for sure. State um, senators, judges, state representatives. Judges yeah. have to be elected. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that a candidate that doesn't take money from those types of shady organizations is not going to be able to compete with someone who does. And so you're seeing that, right, like with Bernie um, and with Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, they're not taking these big corporate donations, but consequently they're texting me several (laughs) times a day, every day, asking me for $2. Like I said, I was a voter before Citizens United, and I remember when we had political campaigns that we didn't talk about every single dollar that somebody earned all the time or their whether or not their potential to win, you know, was not always tied to how much fundraising they were able to do. It was so depressing to even see like AOC was like, you know, I have to raise this much like money, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, well, and in the um, the Netflix special that she's featured in, Knock Down the House, um, there is a segment that she breaks down like who um, she was running against Joseph Crowley, who was a, a Democrat who was running on like a, a huge anti-Trump. I'm going to take on Trump platform. Sounds great. But then she was looking at where he was getting his money from. And it was all these like really big companies that wanted him to you know, have industries in his district and, you know, stop other industries from coming into his district. And it gets so dirty when... Oh, it's so dirty. When when corporate money 
is involved. Yes. So thanks for bringing up Citizens United. Mm-hmm. I could talk so, about it for hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next question. Well, we've kind of touched on this throughout, but um, this one is how do you keep a small business from becoming a capitalist business? Yeah. And I mean, just the one big thing for me is just that profit, right? I mean, it's just reinvesting that profit that you're going to make as a business into things that aren't like my own personal wealth. Again, I, I, I think that's sort of the easiest way is that you're just thinking about like, if there is extra money, how can it go to the people who are helping me make it? And then also, how can I do the least amount of harm with what I'm selling in the case of like a retail business? Not all businesses are retail businesses. But you know, I can just speak from my own experience. So you know, how can I do the least amount of harm? How can I make sure that, you know, nothing that I'm selling was produced by exploiting another person or the planet. And then, yeah, again, like, what am I doing with the profit of that of my business? And, you know, again, for me, I try to put it into my employees and I try to put it into things like using eco-conscious packing materials and donating to causes that we want to support and spending money on things like microphones for this podcast, because that feels really important in terms of, you know, being able to educate our customers on things that we think is important rather than, you know, that I'm saving up to buy a Beamer or something like that, or (laughs) a um, Beamer. (laughs) Can you imagine me driving a Beamer, you know, or just, just all, you know, or that, you know, I take lavish vacations. I mean, I take vacations. Like, I'm not trying to say that you have to like wear a potato sack and like, you know, fucking be miserable for your whole life to be anti-capitalist like no I mean I have a comfortable existence but the difference is that I want to share my comfortable experience with the people who work for me and I I would not ever think it would be okay for me to have a comfortable existence and then say like I don't care what happens to you this is the job I can get somebody to work for x amount and so that's what I'm gonna do yeah and I think also like being an anti-capitalist small business owner means not only that you can reinvest your money how you want it, but you can also like use your platform to vocally be anti-capitalist and anti-racist and anti-cis, white, hetero supremacist, patriarchy. Well, right, right. I mean, it's like there's this idea like like our store, you know, we give a fair amount of square footage on our floor to things that I think are important for people to see that aren't necessarily things that make me a lot of money. Right. right. And that's OK for me because I don't want I don't want to be Amazon. Right. I want to be a business where people walk in and maybe they walk out a little bit differently than when they walked in. Mm-hmm. That's important to me. I want to be a business that, yeah, has things on the shelves that make people think, not just what makes me money, because in Salem, it's really easy to put a witch on something and sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could definitely do that and be probably making a mint at this point. So the next and last question um is and i I hope we've done a pretty good job of addressing this so far but um just a general question about how capitalism collides with um, white supremacy and patriarchy well i mean to be clear capitalism white supremacy and the patriarchy are like the holy trinity of evil you know what i mean they're all very very intimately intertwined um and i think you know, slavery, of course, is the easiest um, 
easiest thing to point to that shows like, yeah, capitalism made capitalism depends depended and depends on slavery and the way that the people that they chose to be slaves were people of color, black people, um, people that they indigenous people, indigenous people that they the capitalists, the Euro um, colonizers didn't see as people humans yeah as humans at all just labor they just saw them as labor right and that's kind of the point i guess is all of us are just labor um no but it's true i mean we've already talked about the formation of the police and prison system in the u.s being directly because of all the freed slaves and because they needed to figure out how to enslave them again. And then you also look at more modern things like advertising. I mean, when you look at the cultural norm, you see like a brunette white man and a blonde white woman. And those are the people that are in your advertisements and in your movies and in your television. And that's who the capitalist media wants us to think is the typical person. So that's why we're still calling POC minorities, even though (sighs) that, I mean, that doesn't, actually make sense but it's because that's the image that we've been fed and that means that they can control the image of what black people and indigenous people and people of color well capitalism has sort of set up this like ideal and if you're not it then you're less than or unworthy in some way and so we're always striving to be this like same like homogenized ideal of like what you're supposed to be And in America, that's like heterosexual and white and productive. Yeah, I mean, it all has to feed the machine. It all goes into feeding the machine. And, you know, the really important thing for white people who want to be acting in anti-white supremacist ways is that it's just really important to understand that because of capitalism... The way that middle class and upper middle class Americans live, and I'm talking specifically about white folks, has come at the expense of capitalists having to take over all of the land of this country, which was already inhabited by people who were doing a great job, who were who were amazing doing- <laughs> stewards of the land, like who damn. Met all of really should have just left (laughs) left all that alone. Managed to like meet all of their needs without destroying everything. The unpaid labor of women and the unpaid labor of African slaves. Mm -hmm. And without all of those things, it's not because America is so fucking special. It's not because Christians and white people who came over from Europe are so fucking awesome and had such great fucking ideas that they want out. No, get that out of your head. If you take nothing away from this podcast, from all of my insane ramblings today, take away the idea that we're special and that we've earned this and that we deserve it. And that like uh, fucking Reagan and whoever said it before him, that we're this shining city on a hill and that God has ordained that we get to live in this amount of wealth and comfort that we do. Um, That's a lie. That's a big fucking lie and get rid of it. And living under that lie is destroying all of us. The reason that our lives look the way they look is because we killed women who couldn't get on board with the idea of just having babies and raising them and being sweet to our husbands. We 
stripped land away from the indigenous populations of the world. And we just took whatever we wanted from Africa, whether that was natural resources or people, and just fucked off with it. That's it. That's the cold, hard truth of what built America and, and what continues to run America and what continues to run America. And and it's capitalism mm -hmm. and capitalism is evil. Yeah. And I also want to just briefly touch on for the witchcraft community in particular, um, a lot of times capitalism and and racism particularly collide in cultural appropriation because we have um, really easy access to these mass-produced quote-unquote ritual tools that mimic African and indigenous traditions that are actually just, you know, made in a factory by whatever, but people are engaging with them as if they're actually sacred instead of doing the actual sacred work, which is engaging with those communities and facilitating their own expression of their own rituals without white colonial intervention intervention or yeah exactly yeah and as far as patriarchy i mean we've obviously talked a lot about the subjugation of women and um how you know seizing the means of reproductive uh production is is a big part of capitalism too but i also want to make it clear that like patriarchy is not just a system against women it's a system against any gender that isn't men so mm -hmm. that also means that as women are oppressed, you also have non-binary and intersex people and trans people who are being pushed even further to the fringes of society. And that's also why we see so many trans and intersex non-binary people forced into sex work as well, because we've created this role where woman has babies. And if you <laughs> are woman and not having babies, or you should be woman and should be having babies, your only value is as like a sex receptacle, basically. Yeah. You know, you know, I mean, yeah. that's, you know, not to say that sex work is an incubator. Oh, exactly. Not to say that sex work isn't a valid and, you know, I would say wonderful profession for those who choose it in an empowering way. But for folks who are forced into it, that's definitely a capitalist construct as well. Really important. Again, we'll put this in like the notes and stuff. Caliban and the witch. If you're if you're interested specifically in the intersection of sort of like witchcraft, women, and capitalism, um, there's a scholar named Sylvia Federici who is incredible, and I'm sure we've mentioned her on this podcast before. But her sort of seminal work on this is called Caliban and the Witch: Women, the Body, and Primitive Accumulation. There is a sort of shorter version called Witches, Witch Hunting and Women. And we do sell that one in the House Witch store. And it's sort of a um, a closer look and, a, and an abbreviated look um, at what she looks at in Caliban and the Witch, which is specifically how the witch trials um, of early modern Europe were a product of this emergence of capitalism. And so if you are a person who identifies as a witch or are interested in witchcraft, and you're also interested in how capitalism functions in our world, you're going to be obsessed with Sylvia Federici, yeah. basically. And also, um, if you Google capitalism and witchcraft, it is all going to be Sylvia Federici. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. comes up. So 
she's amazing and it's and and her books are really really great resources and i also want to shout out to sarah lyons who we met a few weeks ago at the calder and black here in salem and her book revolutionary witchcraft a guide to magical activism Uh, i'm sure we could bring this up in a lot of these episodes but um, i found this one in particular really interesting and she has a little part about crystals and buying crystals and how and, and it just provides a really good um, example of like, yes, you can still buy crystals, but here's how to think about it in a way that is a bit critical of capitalist consumption. So I think that's a really good starting point for people who might be listening to this. Yay. Okay, well, thanks for submitting questions. And, you know, maybe we'll have to do another like look at just the intersection of capitalism and witchcraft because there is a lot there. This is it's a, this is a very big topic. If you if any of this has piqued your interest, let us know if you would like to hear more episodes about this and more content about this. And I hope that there was like some amount of lucidity here and that and that I made some of these points clear. Like I said, it's truly a daunting task. Um, I have felt daunted by it because there's a gazillion different ways to look at this and a, and a gazillion different lenses to look at it with. And it's obviously a huge topic that many, many thousands of people have to like devoted their entire life to talking about. So having to boil it all down for like an hour long podcast episode, I don't know if I did a terrific job, but I tried. All right. Should we lighten things up a little bit? (laughs) Yeah, that was a doozy. So all right, here are our elemental questions. Let's talk about it. So Paige, what is grounding you right now? So like many people, I'm feeling pretty ungrounded (laughs) lately with retrograde and Pisces season and, you know, just end of winter, almost springness. Um, So what's really grounding me right now is we're hosting our dear friend's cat for a little while while they're settling into a new home. And he's just the best. And it's really helpful to like have a cat waiting for you to feed him in the morning. So I don't like sleep until 15 minutes mm-hmm. before I have to leave because I'm just like yeah floating in my Pisces dreamland um so yeah yeah like caring for other beings mm. can be really grounding for yeah. sure so what's grounding me actually like oddly enough Pisces season has felt really grounding to me um I think because I'm a Pisces moon producer Anthony is also a Pisces moon boy is he and um Yeah, I didn't really realize like how ungrounded I felt in Aquarius season, I think, until like literally the second Pisces season started. I was like, it was like a deep exhale of like, okay, all right, I know where I am and what I'm doing and I feel attached to something solid. So I guess just I'm not really doing it. It's just happening to me. And that's Pisces season. Nice. Okay, so what are you thinking about? So I'm thinking a lot recently about the idea of permission because Ooh. we've been doing some different things to expand which the vote locally and a lot of that is like standing out with signs and like taping flyers to things telephone yeah telephone poles <laughs> um and you don't need permission to do those things, but they're really effective. And I 
I'm a Virgo rising. I have no Sagittarius in my chart at all. So like breaking rules is very, very mm. hard for me. I'm kind of always looking for somebody to like tell me that I'm allowed basically. Mm. And so, yeah, like it just has kind of been occurring to me recently that especially in and like, duh, of course, <laughs> you know, the work that we're doing, like asking for permission is not no effective um, well because it's like who do we whose authority do we really respect right. at this point right exactly <laughs> exactly so yeah i mean if you want to go and stand out with some signs in your town that say like honk if you love abortions you can do that yeah you should do you that. you can just do that yeah and you can get your friends to do that and yeah you can just do that <laughs> so i've been thinking and and unthinking a lot about that lately that's cool. I'm thinking about sort of like uh, this weird kind of like nexus of like being able to like mirror yourself and okay, this is going to get really weird. But basically, I had a couple of experiences this week. One of them, which is I started rereading Carl Jung's biography, Memories, Dreams, Reflections, because I've been thinking about memoir and like how to represent yourself in that way. And then I also had this really transformative experience that I can't wait to talk more about soon, which is that I had a portrait session with a really amazing photographer, Ali Schmaling. If y'all are Boston locals, you probably know who they are. And for the first time, I, I just got a sneak peek of the photos yesterday. And for the first time, I feel like what I'm seeing in them is actually reflecting back to me, like how I feel like I look or how I feel inside. She um, looks great in pictures. Thank really you. <laughs> and what a gift, you know? And it was this yeah. kind of thing where I felt it was a really powerful experience because I felt like. How many times did you have to get like school photos taken that you, you know, either were too young to really like have a say in like how you were like styled or, you know, just you're in your awkward team. Basically, I have a lot of like portrait related trauma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say not to overuse the word trauma, but um, and so to be able to get to this point in my life where I'm like, this is exactly what I want to wear. This is exactly who I am. This is exactly who I would hire to, you know, record this moment in my life when, you know, I do feel like I'm at kind of like a peak in my life was a true gift. So it just kind of like is playing into this whole theme. I recently also got a tattoo that sort of represents being a Gemini, but it's like two faces kind of mirroring each other. And so I just kind of feel like this year for me has something to do with like mirroring or being able to like see yourself and also like reflect yourself I don't know anyways I told you it get weird <laughs> and um so yeah so that's what I'm thinking about and and it's interesting that Jung who's been a huge inspiration to me for many years you know this book is called Memories, Dreams, Reflections. And so there's that reflection aspect there too. So anyways. Yeah, Gemini. <laughs> yeah, it's like ask the Gemini yeah. <laughs> the air question and right. just like get ready to um, hear a, a rambling answer. That was my rambling answer. I loved it. What are you fired up about? 
Okay, so I'm really fired up that so many cool people came out to our um, ritual for reproductive justice. Okay, y'all, Paige did an incredible job putting this together and giving so everybody the info and creating a really beautiful little spell. It was so fun. And thank you to Erin um, from Erin's Apothecary as well for making some beautiful bath salts for donors to take home. By the time this episode comes out, we'll have raised over $500 for the Brookline Women's Health Services, which is a local abortion clinic that's lost funding and is in a lot of uncertain space right now. So I'm just I'm just so fired up that like it was actually really easy. To, I mean, it was hard to plan it, like, you know, giving myself credit there, but it was actually really easy. Like when folks heard about it, they were like, yeah, I want to donate. I want to give money. So many people were, you know, asking how they can donate if they aren't there. And our friend Kate Laurel of Laurel Tree Healing Arts is doing some amazing like tarot specials in exchange for donations to WHS. And it's just, yeah, I'm just really fired up. It makes it seeing success, you know, feels so good. And like, I'm just really hoping to keep that momentum going. Yeah. And it's important to soak up that energy, you know, it's like to be able to recreate it. Mm -hmm. You have to really be able to like embody it so definitely give yourself permission to soak up the success of that event because it really was a huge success and I I know that everybody was pretty like blown away by how impressive you are as a person well that's very nice to hear I'm just I'm just excited that like you know yeah we we, made we made some money move and that's actually my answer too. what I'm fired up about was a fact that I (laughs) learned um at this event which is that there are four times as many fake abortion clinics as real ones Mm -hmm. in this country yeah there's like what was the exact number of pagers well so I don't I don't know when the statistic was taken because we've lost a lot of independent abortion clinics since then but roughly there's four thousand fake clinics in the country and less than 800 real ones. So like this is something that like has kind of been on my radar, but I truly did not know the like extent of the problem. And just for our listeners who may not know, there are lots of different organizations spearheaded by the Christian right meant to manipulate people seeking abortions into not getting abortions. And they have a lot of really insidious techniques for doing so. And, you know, in other words, it's like they make it really easy to be manipulated because they've done the work of replicating like the visuals of actual abortion clinics, the name of actual abortion clinics, the, you know, sort of marketing of actual abortion clinics. And, and thanks to the current administration, they get Title X funding. Yeah. So they, they're funded by like tax breaks and government money. So... This is a huge issue because, again, I mean, I think there are, you know, obviously people who might be a little bit more savvy and might get it. But then I think there are plenty of other people who, you know, they're in maybe one of the toughest positions they've ever been in in their life. They're vulnerable and therefore like more susceptible to this, like I said, like really kind of like insidious work that these people are doing to make abortion even more stigmatized, to make abortion even more unaccessible. So, And I just think that's something that just really stood out to me as being something that I just really resent and want to keep telling more people about. So I definitely um, told a bunch of people about it yesterday at the shop. (laughs) 
And I'll put some links in the podcast notes to organizations that are working to expose these places because, I mean, one of the main things about abortion access that we need to realize is that rich white people will always be able to access abortions when they need it. These fake clinics are mostly in rural areas or in targeted community areas. So that means that a lot of people of color, immigrant communities, native communities especially, are facing like that many more barriers than they already are to abortion access. So yeah, I, I think fake clinics is a really good fact to, to hang up on. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you taking care of yourself? I've been listening to a lot more music lately. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, because I feel like when I listen, I get in a kick that I'm like only listening to podcasts or I'm like only watching Netflix and it makes you know it makes me a little bit more anxious than I would be otherwise to hear about some of these topics so yeah listening to music has been really nice I found a lot of new bands that are great that my favorite right now is a punk band a queer POC punk band called the Muslims on Instagram they're Muslims with a Z (laughs) I'll link to their Instagram in the show notes too but they're a super anti-white supremacy anti-capitalist like they're they're wonderful I'm I'm just a huge fan so um yeah that's been really grounding. I love that. I go through phases too, where I like really don't listen to a lot of music and that's okay. Like I kind of see it as just like one of the sort of like, you know, shadow, like void parts of my cycle, but then I can always tell when I'm starting to get back into like a more yang cycle. Yeah, exactly. And that's because I start like listening to music and I've been listening to a little bit more music again this year too, but I'm definitely in a like podcast moment I'm going on vacation that's how I'm taking care of myself (laughs) this week and very excited about that truly trying to put as many boundaries and structures in place around working um, as I can so that I'm not working on this trip so that should be good and it should be really relaxing and I don't usually do vacations like that so I'm very excited is there a spiritual practice you'd like to share that you're excited about right now yeah so in pretty much every reading that I've had whether it's like an astrology chart or a palm reading or tarot or psychic medium they've told me to pay attention to my dreams and I usually forget my dreams really easily so I've been trying to make an effort to remember them more and I haven't had any particularly cool ones until last night um So I had this dream that I was like standing on kind of like the Grand Canyon that it was like this big precipice and you can see all these mountains in the distance. And I don't know who I was standing with. It was like a a teacher or a guide of some sort. And they were pointing out the planets to me and they were like very close to us so you could see them all the way. The way they looked was kind of like long exposure. So they were just like kind of extending in both directions. And then I like looked at the mountain across from me and I could see um, a perfect shadow of Saturn on the mountain like with the rain. This is the coolest dream ever no, by the way no this is like I'm so <laughs> jazzed about this um pay attention to your dreams you guys it's so cool so I could see like the shadow of Saturn on the mountain and I was like oh it's it's the shadow of Saturn and whoever was with me you know pointed to it and it was down pretty close and they said yeah Saturn goes on infinitely and it just kind of like zoomed out and then I woke up but it was really cool and so I was like looking into my astrology chart and my Saturn is in Aquarius okay um, so that dream Makes yeah. a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and I just took it as a message to just like keep doing the work that I'm doing and that like, you know, it doesn't stop and that like that's okay. So yeah, um, pay attention to your dreams. 
try try to remember them and like I don't know just just really believe that your subconscious is like telling you something and that oh yeah my spiritual practice is just right now I'm jazzed about the Pisces new moon which is today tonight new moons are always really important to me I love a fresh start I love uh, planting seeds I met my wife on the new moon we got married on the new moon it just yeah it's always a time for me that I actually kind of do go inward and really look at like what am I trying to start over or start fresh with right now and I have a few things that I'm working on you know sometimes we're in places where we're just kind of like um I know I could be doing some things differently but I'm like too tired to try Mm -hmm. and I feel myself coming out of one of those cycles into sort of like you know maybe there are some things that I can work on and I actually feel like doing that so I think I might maybe make those intentions kind of like formal tonight and might actually kind of like write them out or do some sort of ritual around them for the new moon and that sounds really nice and watery and lovely I love that that sounds thank you thank you thank you so okay those are our questions and if you didn't hear the first episode that we did these we based them on the um, elements earth air fire water and ether and we would love to know your answers you know so you can either email us or reach out to us on um, social media or leave it in your review when you give us five stars (laughs) and tell all your friends to do that yeah thank thank you all so much for sticking with us Um, if you have further questions I mean we definitely want to talk about we're going to talk about capitalism more but if there's any specific questions that came up please send us more of those. If there are any like topics branching off of that or people that you think would be really good to talk to about capitalism and about those topics, like please let us know. And we'll put the list of books that we really kind of like dove into to get the information that we used for this episode because obviously there's a huge wealth of information and writing and about capitalism and some of the the some of it can be very very dense or very very academic and so I tried to use sources um, that are very very accessible because I mean like your girl has no interest in going through like (laughs) I went to college and grad school already (laughs) Um, been there done that so you know those very short introduction books are really really awesome and I leaned heavily on those to be able to sort of like cut to the brass tacks of all of these um, and there's a couple other sources as well and then obviously Sylvia Federici's work which any which would be very interesting interested uh, in I think yeah cool awesome well yeah thanks for listening and um, we'll rant at you again soon and remember that casting your vote is casting a spell